Steve, we're back again. How many, how many podcasts do you think I've started out with Steve, we're back? I bet it's probably like at least four to five percent. Yeah, I, was, I thought you were going to say four to five, but no. <laughs> it might even be at least four to five percent because there aren't that many. So yeah, yes. Um, hey, uh, before we begin, if you are listening to this podcast, I want to send you a sincere thank you. We are over 2,000 downloads, listens or whatever. And we're not even trying. Imagine if we yeah, really if tried. If we tried to like promote our podcast, man, I tell you what, we could be billionaires. Be some air. Well, there's something. Anyways, um, this is the Stuff Summer Says podcast with Steve. Steve. Steve, we have a lot to talk about. And we, we have a guest this week that I'm very excited about. Uh, we just had a great conversation with him. Uh, Mike Porman, uh, writer for statecollege.com, all around just good dude, uh, kind of sort of a numbers guru for Penn State when it comes to the athletic department. Uh, stopped by to chat about a number of things, mainly the fact that I am now paying 9% more on my season tickets uh, per season. So th- there's that. Uh, we're also going to talk about the Olympics and uh, we are also going to do an old guy and guy. So um, go ahead, listen to this interview with Mr. Michael Foreman. Um, enjoy it. It is very informative, very informational. Uh, you will laugh a lot as well as I did. Um, and we'll go from there. <gasps> well, I'm already laughing because I, we, have, we have one of my favorite college of com professors really one of my favorite college professors of all time on on today's show but i'm not here to ask about relive my glory days with him in my freshman seminar class mr michael porman has joined us how are you doing today mr michael porman he waves great to be here thanks for having me my my god you two guys are uh belisario all-stars Wow. Do you hear that, Steve? We, can we get t-shirts with that printed on it? <laughs> I'm writing it down right now. Actually. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, anyways, well, the, the real reason why we have you on today, uh, Mike, is to discuss a couple things going on with the, the athletic department. And I kind of feel like it was Steve's idea to bring you on, but I, I do kind of feel like you are the guru, go-to guy for big picture Penn State athletics uh, conversations. Uh, I have two main areas that I wanted to discuss. I think Steve, Steve also has two main areas that he wants to discuss that are the same. Um, so if you're ready, I'm ready. Are you ready? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I am. I'm psyched, man. Thanks. All right. Cool. Well, so the first big thing this week has been twofold, a, Increase in ticket sales, ticket prices for season ticket holders came out. Um, it basically worked out to be this, uh, at least for me. I don't know about for other people. I've heard varying prices. Um, $32 more uh, for the set of, of seven seven tickets for the season per seat. Um, there was a general parking went from $100 to $40. Uh, the service fee went up from like $10 to $20. And I think that might've been everything in there. The biggest thing was the, the, the no increase in donation, but big picture wise, what does this mean for Penn state athletics? What does this $32 increase mean for Penn state athletics, not Penn state fans, but Penn state Not, not a lot, actually. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's um, penny wise and pound foolish. I mean, they're they're scraping for dollars. The the numbers just came out last week. Penn State and every school in the Big Ten share from the Big Ten Conference for partial ownership with Fox of the Big Ten Network, 
plus their shares of everything else, college football playoffs, um, contracts for football, basketball, et cetera, are down $15 million this year. That's a, that's a big jump. I don't think your $32 is going to offset that. Um, what, in my opinion, and I'm sure the bean counters can tell you, let, let's say it brings in an extra two or three million. Um, there's a lot of ways you can get that two or three million. Sandy Barber's salary has doubled in eight years. James's salary, guaranteed salary, assuming they go to a bowl game, is up 91%. Um, the, the cost of doing business for Penn State has gone up exponentially. So you can either cut expenses or you can raise prices, um, especially when you, the biggest chunk of cash you get from the Big Ten is down by almost 30%. I, I think the optics are really bad. When you say the optics are bad, who are they bad for? For, for Penn State or from, from the fan perspective or just the yeah, bottom from line? Yeah, the fan perspective. perspective. I mean, we're coming – right. I mean, you know this, is that you, two years ago, a year and a half ago, they, they kept your donation and didn't give you tickets. Okay, so right. there's that. And now they're raising $32 for seven games is, you know, uh, a cup of veranda at Starbucks uh, for each game. That's, that's, that's the difference of what they're really asking you for. I get it. They got to pay their bills, but um, you're not going to make up the $15 million or – I mean, Franklin's first year, he made $4.55 million. This year, assuming they go to a bowl game, he's going to make $8.7 million. Your $32 is just going to pay for the increase in his salary. Yeah, that was kind of where I was going with my line of questioning. Is that the way Penn Staters should, should really look at this? Is James Franklin wanted more? This is how, they're going to, how he's going to get more. Well, you know, I, I, that's a that's really the question. I don't I don't know if that's how they should, but you know, Stan Samsel, who's a, 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 a Stratcom genius, is going to tell the it's what people not what people should think. It's what they are thinking, and so if that's what they're thinking, then you have to do something to counteract that and just by putting this out and raising the prices and cutting off 500 people from buying season tickets without a message, it's inherently Penn state. So people are going to think what they want. If you don't help them think what they should. What, what should the message have been? And we'll get to the, the people getting cut off thing here in a second, but what, what should the message have been in terms of what, why these, because I mean, this, came out of the clear blue you had to kind of sort of do the math on your own if you were a season ticket holder like myself and my friends and steve grants and aid are up 37 percent um we were providing more services to students um we have a deficit from covid uh, a loan that we have to they're not going to say it this way but a loan that we have to pay of 30 million dollars that we have to pay back to old maine Say, here's share a little bit of their spreadsheet and say, here's why we need your dollars. Here's where it's going. I think, I mean, personally, I don't know about you, Steve, but I, I think that that would be more receptive. I think, especially given everything that's happened in the last two ish or so years now, people are more receptive when you're upfront and honest with that. Yeah. And anytime there's a vacuum for a message, somebody's going to fill it with something else or fill it with what they do. They're going to sit there and do the math and say, okay, I, this math adds up to what the coach's salary is. That must be what they're doing. You have a chance. It's funny. You hear everybody talking about control the narrative and gosh, I don't, I don't think it ever has to be. I think that's what you do, but I think honesty takes care of a narrative a lot of times. Like if I think you just say, Hey, here's what we're doing and here's why. Um, 
and even and even if it is, I mean, services for the athletes, which makes sense. You know, the athletic department has grown. You can just say that. I mean, you know, then we could get into that discussion of why it's grown and why there's so many more athletic directors than there were before. So, but something, right? Just here's 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 our costs. Here's what's going on. These are our challenges. We appreciate you supporting us forward throughout, and we hope you'll continue to do that. That kind of thing. A little goodwill and honesty goes a long way. And sometimes some places aren't super strong at that. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm looking at numbers that, I mean, student aid over the last 12 years has come close to doubles. And now they're paying, uh, you know, there's all the training tables. There's the nutrition state stations. There's the cost of attendance that they didn't, you know, 5,000 per scholarship that they didn't have to pay. I mean, it's, it's a good story to tell, but absent that story, the easy story is Sandy's salary is doubled and so is James. We have to pay that. Do you, do you think? And, and like Steve yeah. said, I mean, the, 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 the labor costs for Penn State ath athletics have skyrocketed, not just for the athletes grant aids for, but for everybody, they have to fight. They have to fight that off. But if you're adding two people to your performance psychology department, and it's performance psychology, not the caps, not the mental health, with Carl Olson, or if you're adding two people to student health and welfare to help Keith Embry, who Keith Embry is one of the unsung heroes of Penn State athletics. If they're adding one or two people, and according to Penn State's jobs website they're looking to add someone in his department for student welfare, then say that. I mean, I, there's some good stories to tell, but, um, you know, they're, they're, they're not, they're, they're not telling us. So you're pissed off about the 32 bucks and 500 people, you know, you get rid of 500 people and some of them are brokers or not, but those people were still paying two or three. When you add up their seat licenses and you add up their ticket sales, that's two or three million dollars that they're just wiping away that they got to replace. And I, so I pulled this out. It, it, ticket sales for football in 2010, the last year before the STEP program, were $34 million. In 2018, the last ones that Penn State has shared were $36 million. So ticket revenue, now the donation revenue is going up because of seat licenses, but ticket revenue hasn't you know hasn't hasn't gone up they're looking to get the money somewhere you're not going to get it in 32 dollars here and there jack up the suites build more suites create more exper experiential things where you can get dollar values i know and as steve said i mean they got a million people to help figure this out but your 32 bucks ain't going to help very much i gotta tell you let's discuss sorry about that <laughs> So, so I shouldn't be fired up about the the, the sixty four bucks or, well, or whatever it is. Here, this is my favorite number of twenty. This is my. Guess how much James Franklin makes an hour, every hour of every day, whether he's sleeping, whether he's pooping, whether he's making the wrong decision about fake field goals against Michigan. Guess how much he makes an hour. A grand. Yes. Like nine sixty seven. A thousand dollars an hour. That's so insane. your thirty-two bucks, it 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 will it, it covers from him walking in his office door to his chair. <laughs> That's I mean, I was just sitting here thinking, like, well, let's see if I know about where he lives. I think maybe that covers one drive, one drive to work over to, to the Lash building a, a day. I think it's probably 20. I think it's probably less than 20 minutes. He goes in. Oh um, so uh, let's, let's get back to the, the ticket broker issue. I had a friend who is a season ticket holder and this is what's messed up about it. He's a, he works in the military. He's in the army. He has season tickets, has had season tickets for probably 10 years now, close to, I would say. And he gets an email that he, because he was selling his tickets, he, he, he no longer has season tickets. The craziest part of the story is 
he has photographic proof that he was at the Auburn game and the Michigan game. So again, there, there is kind of the same thing where I guess you were going back to was you're just making more problems for yourself, more, more headache for yourself. But like, do you think cutting off the 500 people money aside was a good decision or do you think it was like a bad decision from the PR perspective, put your college of com hat on, I guess, so to speak. PR and optic perspective was bad, but they did an even worse job of explaining why. And, and two things about your friend, a, I'm surprised you have a friend, but thank you. Thank um, you. Well, I B, hang out with Steve. So. B, B, I mean, he came to, he came to those two games and, you know, he didn't come to the military appreciation game, <laughs> which is becomes an becomes an oxymoron with your friend. They certainly didn't appreciate, they didn't appreciate him. I think I think my biggest thing with it is if you sit down and do the math and you look at the averages of what let's remove a Michigan game and an Auburn game from the schedule, what a ticket at Beaver Stadium really goes for. On, on a secondary secondary market, it is very hard to make money on on these tickets. Like it, you're making a very very small amount of cash, basically. Um, you know, when it's all said and done, between the costs of everything. Do you? And I don't know. I, I read Ben's article. It doesn't clearly state. It seems like it, it seems like one of the issues may have been how early you were posting the ticket. Do you have any other insight guesses as to you maybe were you selling it on StubHub versus Ticketmaster? What are your thoughts there? Well, I, those are great questions. I don't think the margins are super high. By the time you pay your seat license, they don't call it a seat license, but that's what it is. By the time you pay your donation and then you amortize your cost of your $35 versus Lycoming, versus your $150 versus Auburn. There's some margins there, but here's the thing. If they're reselling it, they're making some money, but they're selling it to people who are going to the games, okay? Right. So the seats are full. What were, and I guess here's part of the other, other thing. When they announce an attendance of 105,000, there may be 75, there may be 80,000 people there. Um, I think it was last year, Ball State or Kent State, someone, one of those max states that the actual real in-house attendance was $68,000. So if you're, are they worried about attendance? Are they worried about someone making a dime? Like that, you know, there's all kind of different things there. But if I'm a scalper, I'm going to eventually sell my tickets to someone who wants to go in, even if it's for $14 against St. Francis, someone's going to buy that ticket and go into the game. If I'm Penn State, that's part of what I want. I want the revenue from it, but I want someone's butt in a seat at that game. And so I don't know if scalpers just walk away from those $14 per ticket, but I would guess $14 is $14. I, 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 I guess the bottom line is there's so much hidden math. There's so many hidden agendas. Why not just put out a statement and say, this is why we're doing it. I yeah. mean, it's not, well, it's not Putin think, lining up to invade Ukraine. No. <laughs> I think the biggest thing with me was, especially with this friend is make it clear what, what they violated, so to speak, like what the term of what specifically, not just the, the vague terms and conditions, but how they violated those. And to me, that was what was, was so surprising. And again, I don't think the PR hit that they've kind of sort of taken over the last few days has really been worth it. And although this story won't be a thing next week, uh, but, but that's, you know, that's in for another day. Um, I think the other thing that I was thinking about, and I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, but again, going back to the having a butt in the, in the ticket, in the, the you're still going to probably get the parking parking fee off of that person. You're still going to get the food 
them buying off that person. You're still going to make money and revenue and they, maybe they'll buy a little bit of merchandise out of the, the bookstore uh, or the stores that are around. To me, that was what, again, like what you're saying was so surprising about this is we don't want free money, basically. It really feels like it's you're saying no to free money. To, to me, the funny thing out of the news this week, it's these 500 people, whoever they are, and let's say doing this is going to cost $3 million and maybe they can resell them and recoup that money. But I'm going to go back how I opened with. If I'm Penn State Athletics, the much bigger news is I just $15 million I just got semi-pro. You guys ever see the movie Semi-Pro? Yes. It's one of the worst Will Ferrell movies, but it's a good one. Um, and they give this guy a big check. Okay? Penn State usually gets his big check, $53, $55 million it was up to for the Big Ten, and now it was $38 million. Like, your $32 are peanuts. You know, the $15 million is is... Look, if you could get, I know this, but if you could get Ira Lubert or Galen Dreibabis or, or Anthony Pagula or Keith Mosser, Mosser. who is on the board, or one of those big time hitters to write you a check for one to $5 million, it's going to solve a lot of your problems. I mean, I, honestly, I think Penn State is not getting those size donations. That's why even though they said they, and I, this is not where you want it to go, but it's all, all goes to the bottom line. The $48 million renovation of Lash could, because the renovation for football is now up over hundred million. No one talks about that, but the 48 million from Lash was originally approved if it's donation. And guess what? None of it is donation. It's all a freaking loan. Okay. So they're not going to pay that $48 million for their, you're 32 bucks. Like you can buy one hand weight for those $32. Maybe. Maybe. Darren, you know what you should be waiting for for that money is a make good on the throat lozenges from last year. Sometime this what? year, you should be getting those. I, that's the other thing. What? That's, that's still, that's. Think about how many throat lozenges I can buy for $32. Exactly. That's thousands. I could probably stock my entire section. Um, you, you kind of hit on it there, and I did want to ask about this because, again, you are the, the guru of all things big picture. And I, how does – Well, that's because no one else does it. I mean, well, it's like, you know, it's just a group of one. Let's, I'm let's, pretty bad at it. I'm, 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 bad I'm, I'm one, hyping you up. That person okay. in one group is pretty good. Take, right, take the credit. I'm but hyping no, you up. No, I, I do. Like, I, I, I look at the numbers, and I digest them, and I track them year after year no one else has any interest in doing that i don't think sandy has a huge interest <laughs> in doing that i see it and that's how and that's how mike Portman got a job working for sandy barber um so here, here is my my question for you how does how does or doesn't that 15 million dollar hit and the 32 dollars extra i'm paying a seat per season how does that all impact kind of something that I feel like people have forgotten about at this point, which is kind of this new master plan of, uh, of upgrades and renovations, both in, you know, football, um, but certainly the natatorium. Good Lord, could we get a new soccer stadium? Um, you know, all of those places. How, how does this impact that? Or is it, is, does that set all of this back further? No, I mean, we're looking at small potatoes. A couple things, and that's a great question. Is the week of the scandal in November 2011, the Board of Trustees approved the monies, some from the university and some from student fees, to do the natatorium and do the tennis center? That was already approved 2011. But we're talking such mega amount of money now that your $32 isn't going to make, it'll help a little bit. But it's not going to make a huge difference. Look, if Penn State went from 34 million in ticket sales in 2010 to 36 million in 2011, that, that's not going to pay for. It might pay for a, butter, a better buffet in Beaver Stadium press box, but that's about it. Um, Penn State needs real money. 
to 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 fix Beaver Stadium, you're you're talking to hundreds of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, and so you can work worry about the small things in your to-do list, but eventually you have to worry about the big ones. I would not be surprised. I would not be surprised if you saw in the next months Penn State getting a big chunk of money, not from a donor, but from the state to help start to pay this stuff. Donors aren't doing it. There's not enough in cash flow. Penn State's still, Penn State's paying the loan on Lash. Penn State's paying the loan. No one talks about this either. Penn State has a loan from Old Maine of over $30 million for COVID deficit from the Bank of Old Maine. Penn State's still paying the Bank of Old Maine for the scandal, okay? There's no positive cash flow out of the athletics. They need big, huge chunks of money. 15 million is a lot. I mean, I anticipated, I didn't know, I, I thought it'd be flat. It was flat last year. But here's the white horse is, and Steve knows this because he's a, a, a media guy too, is starting this year maybe, uh, the Big Ten will start negotiating its new TV rights deal. And that's the white horse, okay? Between streaming and CBS, which is losing SEC, in three or four years, that $38 million that Penn State got this year, everyone in Penn State, it could be $100 million. And then you're looking at real money. That $100 million from the Big Ten plus a couple hundred million from the state. I, I see those two things happening sooner rather than later. The hundred million may take a couple years, but that's the real money. And I think that goes to the heart of how we started this is people are pissed that they're being nickel and dime for their 32 million when the big money is out there. And a guy like James didn't give back a nickel during the, during the pandemic. It's those type of things. Steve, do you have anything you want to add? I think that's for, for some people where the frustration is. You know, if, if Mike, as he says, is, is a band of one observing this, and, and it's more than one, and he's really good at it, but knowing those things and tracking them and, and making sense of it, and knowing, hey, we've got Big Ten money coming. We may have state money coming. We've got other ways to solve this problem. You know, you should set your, it feels like the athletic department should set their, their budget on known dollars, right? That's the first set of ticket, your ticket money, your money that goes there. Don't worry about the secondary market. Let's just get butts and seats, set our budget on that stuff. Maybe we're going to get some per cap sales and, and do those things and don't nickel and dime people because the other place people went and we haven't talked about it yet with this is, oh, I'm paying more money for the team that just did what? That has been what in the past two years? Mm -hmm. I mean, and that's the other thing that people look at and it just, now again, you can make that case by saying, hey, we're investing in this, we're investing in this, but there, there wasn't that in the messaging, which is a challenge. And then to the, to the 500 people who got pushed away or had their stuff taken away and, and the people who weren't really notified of what they, what they did, what's interesting to me in a longer form, it feels like 25 years ago, if Bud Meredith would have taken the seats away from somebody, he'd have told them why, or, or they might've had a chance at knowing why. Now you've got this huge ticket staff and associate ADs for everything from A to Z and, and people don't know what's going on and it's gotten less personal, even though you have more people working and doing those things. And that just seems, I don't know, it seems wrong, right? You should be able to, it's just, it's illogical that you have more people serving ticket sales and stuff and less people informed about what's happening with their tickets in some ways. It, it's become a little more, well, it's become a lot more corporate. And I think that's a change for some people that, that can add to the frustration so we'll see how it plays out, but it does feel, you know, penny wise and pound foolish in the whole scheme of things from what happened this week. And, and some people have long memories and maybe they aren't going to matter because they'll get the money from the TV budget or TV contract and other things, but little things like this chip away um, at your fan base. Um, I mean, maybe it bothers you less than it bothers some older fans, but, but it, that, that, that relationship matters and, and you start, you start chipping away at it and it comes back and bites you later. I was going to ask that. Yeah, I, I, I think. Go ahead, Mike. No, no, those are great points. I mean, I, I, in many ways, this all, all boils down to two numbers, 
$5 million, which James is making every year, and 11 and 11. You know, if they were 19 and three, people will go, where do I sign up? That, that, that was the biggest thing, I think. I, I, that, in my being upset about the pricing increases, that was not where it was coming from. But I certainly understand the optics of how much better, like Steve said, it would be if they just put out a statement of, okay, here's, here's kind of sort of the numbers. Here's what we're looking at with everything that's happened with COVID. This is why we're raising your, your prices. We also know and expect the, the on-field performance to be better. Um, I think that to me was, would also be a big part of this. Well, I don't want to take up you too know, much of your time. I, I think, Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no. I wanted to give you one visual aid because in addition to your call next week, I'm doing a little presentation to the sports business club on Penn state as a business. And as luck would have it, that's my module next week for the class. I teach Penn state as a sports business. And so I have here, Number one, number two, number three, number four, James Franklin's four contracts since he's been here. That's a lot. And I honestly, even for me, and it's one of my New Year's resolutions, is not to let, is, is to look beyond these things. But ultimately, it comes down to that. Every other day, James wants a new contract, and every other day you're losing to Maryland, Nebraska, Michigan State, and Illinois. I mean, honestly, I think that's the bottom line. It's a very good point. I, I, I think, I think, and I think a lot of the this most recent contract is with the way some of the clauses are written and the the, the buyout is, and this is a you have to you have to win contract i think in a lot of ways uh or, or you're not getting another deal like this well no actually he doesn't have to win you don't think so he, he he can lose every year they can't they can't fire him if they fire him next year they gotta they gotta pay him 64 million dollars that's, that's a good point that's a good point that's a that's a I mean, lot of money for on January first on January first twenty twenty four. Then I know you're trying to finish, but I love this point. January first twenty twenty four, James can write Penn State a, a two million dollar check and leave. Okay, um, on January first twenty twenty four, Penn State wants to fire James. It's they have to pay him fifty six million dollars unless there's cause. And three years to seven and five is not cause. Yeah, no, that's that's very fair. That's very fair. And the tickets will be more expensive. <laughs> yeah. They go seven and five. Holy cow. All right. Well, you're going to gonna want the scalper to buy them just to sell themselves. <laughs> anyway, thanks for asking. Uh, as always. Anytime I have a conversation with you, I laugh a lot. So I appreciate you spending a half hour with us chit-chatting about your favorite topic, Steve Samsel's great looks. Oh, I mean, Penn State football. Thanks for asking. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks, Mike. I told you, Steve, that he has a lot to say. He always has a lot to say. Anytime I have a conversation with him, that guy has a lot to say. Um, I can't imagine working with him um, because I, I, I don't know how you get work done because he's just got so much on his mind. What I think, I think his, he, he made two great points there. I think number one, the biggest thing is Penn state was down, you know, this 15 million mark, but at the same time, this $32 is basically nothing. From your perspective, as neutral as possible as you can be about it, because I haven't really asked you how you feel about this increase. How do you do you look at this as a we're just trying to nickel and dime? Because that's the that was my first reaction, especially like 
I maybe would have been fine with it until I saw that the service fee went up from $10 to $20. And that really annoyed me. Like that was the final straw. Again, I just don't go to Chipotle one time for the next week or whatever, but it's still maybe this like the point of principle. What has changed over the last year of your services? Um, you know, that your service fee needs to go up. Yeah. And I, and I, and I'm sure that's an accounting piece, right. Of what money they can, that, that's taxable for them somehow or how they get it, or it's just another fee to add on there. Like that's where I feel like they're nickel and, nickel and diamond when when both happen to go up but at some point if you're not going to have some big windfall of money in the athletic department's defense in this whole thing there's got to be an incremental increase i mean you're not adding more seats and you don't want to make seats ridiculously more expensive all at once i mean you wouldn't feel any better if it was a 20 percent increase in one year in your ticket prices Right. right so there's got to be a number somewhere if they're going to start raising some money and finding some revenue so i i appreciate that it has to happen. I think I am more specifically troubled by kind of it's the service, the, the service fee aspect of it. What services have gotten better? What, what is what is better for me, the, the consumer, the ticket holder? And I don't, the communication in this effort wasn't necessarily better. Um, mm-hmm. My experience getting into the stadium last season wasn't any better. Now they got better by the end of the year with those tickets, but realistically, I still get into the t- stadium quicker holding a paper ticket as a student when they were doing it with a punch card than I do with technology now. And, but, and I appreciate the technology has to change. So I, I understand there has to be an incremental increase and I get that. And at some point they have to increase tickets and that's fine if it happened this year. Um, I just don't think you're getting a benefit for that in any way. And then, then you add in, okay, well, we can do the math. You must be doing it for this or cynically, well, we can do the math and you're not doing it for the product on the field. So if you don't have a message about why you're doing it other than, well, we can, then people probably aren't going to be happy. And, and But then the only way they can express their unhappiness is to not purchase them. And that is not a Penn State thing I've seen through the years. I mean, yeah. God bless the Penn State fan, that couple in New York, whatever their name were, they're still buying their Bob tickets. and Gene. Yeah. Bob and Gene are still buying yeah, their no, And that's the thing. At the end of the day, I'm still going to get the credit card still going to Sandy Barber. The end right. of, uh, which is why they may not care about the message why waste the time uh, yeah. these idiots are going to give us our money at some point yeah i think that's that's a good point on it at all um i think the other thing that he made a great point about is a lot of people i think have made the great point about it. you know if you do the math on on you know 500 500 season ticket holders gone and you know say they're charging ballpark 2100 you know, that's a million dollars right there kind of gone. And, and to me, who cares? Like, you're still making that money. This didn't affect me. This didn't hurt you. If anything, now you're just creating more of an ecosystem, which I think in a lot of ways they have have made, which is if you go try to buy a parking pass, for example, for a specific lot because of the way you have to park now, it is astronomical for some of these games. You can You basically pay more for parking than you do for for the, the get-in price of the game. And, and to me, I, I think this is just them trying to crack down, them trying to flex their muscles, and it's kind of sort of backfiring in the public image. You know, and again, clearly there was no relative rush. They should share it, you know. If you're just going to yank people's t- ticket licenses left and right, yeah, and I, I just think that's a known. I I think it's their responsibility, the athletic department's responsibility, to make their budget on their initial ticket sale, right? And I don't think those brokers were hurting anybody. I mean, I get the terms and conditions probably said what they said, but go ahead, sell your ticket to them, and we made our budget on the front end. If you guys think there's more more meat on the bone to resell them. God bless you. And good luck with that against those non-conference teams and hopefully it makes up for the, comp- the the big games. But we've made our budget on this. Respect our rules in terms of how you behave in the stadium and all that. I, I, that just It just seems like, you know, you're, you're you know, taking a sledgehammer to ants, doing things you don't need to do. And the other thing with the money, money in general, the tickets, for the parking specifically, they're going to charge more for that. My firm belief, my risk, 
risk my own life on a belief is they're not going back to say the College of Ag Sciences, who they use the fields from, saying, hey, you know what? We increased our fees. So we're going to give you a little bit more money to use your fields. Probably yeah. not happening. Mm -mm. So that's another part of it too. So it's just, it's clearly how much can we get and where can we get it? Uh, yeah. And I think, especially with the horrors that I have experienced with parking, some friends have experienced with parking where we park. I think for, I think I told you this story, but after the Auburn game, going back to Altoona, which is 45 minutes, 45 minutes stadium to, do, to front door is what it takes when you get, we didn't even get to make that 45 minute drive until 1 a.m. The 1.15 a.m. after that game, because that's how tight the parking lot situation was. And I think that was my other biggest gripe with all of this is, is okay, you're going to charge more, spend that money on some scientist or some whatever, or make this a class project in, in the, the something logistics class of how do you make this parking parking lot fill, get out quicker? Because I, I, I think getting in is fine. I, I Plus, we get in early enough that you're the same way. You get in early enough, but leaving, it's 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 just ash. You know, it's just yeah. Ridiculous. And I just, I mean, I think all the logistics stuff is one of my bigger frustrations. And the stadium is like four or five different cities, realistically. Like if you park over by Ag Arena or over by the IM Fields or we're we're west of the stadium, like your experiences are entirely different by which way you get in the game and, and whatever else. So there's there's all kinds of different experiences. But I never had the impression a decade ago when the stadium was the same size and the technology wasn't quite what it was now. And we didn't have as many people responsible for it as we do now, that it was really so hard to get in and out. And it seems like it's gotten more difficult and more complicated as they've decided to you know, do a task force and figure out how to rejigger this or do that and become smarter about it. And I don't know that smarter has been better. It's funny. I was I was. Just, I got bored one day and I was just going through old pictures of looking at Beaver Stadium and looking at old Penn State pictures. And I, I found this one aerial shot of it was probably early 70s, right after they maybe moved the stadium, maybe even the 60s after they moved the stadium to where it is, is today. And the... the everything, everything around the, the, the stadium is a grass, is grass. And every road around the stadium is a dirt road. And it, it just kind of makes you, you chuckle and laugh when you think if people back then, which it granted the stadium probably only fit maybe 60,000, but still, even back then, people were able to seemingly get in and out. Why is in the last five years it gotten got so bad? That is that is the worst part about going to a Penn State game. It, oh, I agree. It's the parking situation. I agree. And, and we'll tout that we're getting, making it better, but we're, we're just outsmarting ourselves. Like, you know, I just, yeah, I think you're yeah. starting to solve problems that aren't there. And then when you solve problems that aren't there, you create more problems. Yep. All right. Anything else you want to add about Mike's interview? No, we beat them up good enough and he did a good job. So no, he's good. He's good. Um, definitely check out his, stuff. I, I, I make a point every, every week that he writes a column to, to read it because it, there's always little nuggets in his work that probably, not going to get, and I, I don't know, I don't know why that is, but it's, it's one of the things that I enjoy the most about him. All right, moving on, Steve, we are a little over a little less than a month away. I forget exactly when the Olympics. Uh, it's a couple of weeks, isn't it? Two and a half weeks. A couple weeks now, I guess. Um, but the Olympics are around the corner and, and, we want to approach the Olympics from an esports media perspective that you come to love from this podcast uh, this week. This week, um, I think it was earlier this week, maybe on Monday, NBC announced that all of their play-by-play, -play, for the most part, all of their game trucks, all of that stuff is going to stay stateside. Um, and then today, ESPN announced that they aren't sending anyone to, to, to China. Uh, to cover to cover it, I I know this feels like a conversation we've had before, but to me, I don't know if it really matters. I I, I can't like it didn't matter in God where were the in Tokyo, uh, you know that much. I know that the it was it was actually the opposite effect of 
it was very noticeable when they were there because the the basketball like when you'd watch the, the men's basketball games the men's basketball announcers would be right there and that was weird but other than that it doesn't really matter we've gotten so used to it at this point but my bigger question is eventually once we get past this pandemic and you know everything is semi-normal again do you think it still makes sense for NBC or ESPN or really any national outlet to send their writers or their their you know visual coverage whatever it may be to the Olympics or is it you know what we'll just get it across the wire probably doesn't make sense financially right now again you, it may be peanuts that you're chasing right if you've spent billions on the rights to the games and then you say, okay, then we're not going to send over this contingent of people to cover it, which all you're talking about then is salaries you probably already have encumbered, except for the Olympic people who show up every once every four years on, on your on your payslip, or their, their lodging and transportation. That's probably not a big number in terms of everything that you've invested in it. So maybe that logic wins out and they still go there. But realistically, the experience doesn't change for viewers at all. I mean, it just really doesn't. I mean, you can collect extra web content. You could do specials, special segments and things because you're in person. And I'm sure as a journalist, I would argue if it was me, hey, I'm going to be there. I'm going to get better stuff. And, and, and I agree with that. Um, without them going forward, as we saw, was it the last time in Tokyo? And we, and we won't maybe have that depending who's on site, which was kind of interesting was that little, the little Zoom things with families. Oh, here, look at the iPad swimmer. After you've swum, you, you, you can wave to your family. That felt forced. I mean, I, I know that was all they had. So it'll be interesting to see what the workarounds are for not being there this time. I will say though, some of those moments, there was uh, one of the swimmers and I, this is how memorable it was. I'm, yeah. I'm proving myself wrong. That was, those were some of the more memorable moments of the games for me. Um, it was the, the one swimmer, the male swimmer from Florida. And he, he was like talking to his family and he was like, this is, this is amazing. Like, I can't believe that I just, yeah. And, and they were genuine in the real. And I think it was a smart try. It just felt, gosh, some of it did feel forced. Like it, I mean, it felt it, awkward. Like, and it was probably better. Let them have a private stands, Right. Mm -hmm. Like it was better than, than the picture of them in the stands. You could actually hear them, but then it also felt like you were voyeuristic jumping in on their conversation too. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so no, I mean, I guess I could see it both ways. They'd say, well, we spent this much money. What's the difference? We might as well send the people over there. But now they're going to have proof of concept, two Olympics in a row that you don't need the people there, realistically. Um, so I don't know. I, I would think that the, the first option, as we've seen through the years with big companies, is to cut and not, not go and not take the people there. But after not having them for a couple of cycles, maybe they'll be, oh, my God, we're going to do so much better stuff. and It'll be different. It'll feel fresh and new again. I, I don't know how to say this or describe this. I do wonder if some of it has to deal with the fact that you've got to send people all the way to Asia, which is a lot more expensive. Um, you know, certainly with COVID right now, there's like not to get geopolitical, but like there's, there's, there's a lot more unknown maybe compared in China on Chinese numbers compared to, to American or, or European numbers. So the next, so the next games after this is in Paris. Uh, the 2016 Winter Games is in Italy, um, and then the 2018 games are in LA. So uh, maybe, maybe you just send less, but you're still sending some. I think maybe is what's going to happen out of this, and I think they're going to realize that. Um, I don't think you need to send over every snowboarding reporter, every single goal, you know, skiing person, every the cross country skiing people like no offense to those people. I do find those sports interesting, but dollars and cents wise, like still trying to make money. Then again, the other thing that I was just thinking about is as we were sitting here talking, you could go tomorrow and, and say, Hey, uh, company billion dollar Peloton, would you like to sponsor this and then you cover that covers a lot of your costs and you get maybe one or two more ads you know out, out of it as well um but that's something we haven't seen that's a great i mean here's here's your snowboarding reporters and our snowboarding broadcast team today and throughout the olympics is brought to you by whatever the snowboard company is right like mm -hmm. i would think that would be an easy sell and and you're not really selling yourself out journalistically either not that they care 
to the uh, to the NBC executives listening to this podcast, we would like ten percent, five percent. You're welcome. You? First of all, yeah. and start to yeah, start sending the checks to us. Um, I think to me, I I do think it is important that there is some presence there. I'm glad that Tariko is going. I think it. I I mean, I'll be honest. Like I think culturally, the Olympics isn't just about the sports. It's an opportunity to learn about. Like I learned about a lot the last time the games were in Beijing. I learned like when I was very young about you know Greece and, and Athens and, and and Sydney when the games were in Sydney. So I think there is that, and I think that certainly was missing, especially like even though that came from you still got that because they were on site in Tokyo, but you didn't really get those like personal stories or or fluff stories. Um, so I do think that there is a warrant for those, but. I'd be surprised, like you said, like, I, I mean, we've even seen it. We've even seen it here in the States with, with not even just prior to COVID, you see less and less full-time, and no, it's no offense to anyone, like full-time beat reporters that are getting on the plane, going to, to the away game for regardless of what the sport is. Um, you know, baseball, for example, is a great example of that. I think, you know, that's, it's, also just we're getting to the point we've started to realistically understand that in terms of people's work-life balances things like that people don't necessarily want to have to go travel every other every other week to a different city and and, and you know some people do and that's okay yeah i mean i think whether it's big 10 network or espn2 not sending play-by-play folks to, to games and in, in basketball men's and women's or whatever else or just there's just so many ways. I mean, any now the technology is easy. You can turn the camera on and, and have somebody commenting on it from wherever they're at. And 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 most viewers don't know the difference. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. You know, unless they so say why would you spend the money? Right? Yeah. Unless they directly say, Hey, you know, you know, we're not there, so we don't know. But a lot of the times there's been times where I've been like, Oh, you guys aren't there. I didn't realize that. Yeah, no, there's, I, I think a lot of times you, you can't tell the difference. Um, maybe there's a little bit of a sound because you don't get as much ambient noise from a crowd or something, but I don't think it it makes a big difference. I think, like I said, Tariko there as legitimacy, there's the cultural piece, but I, I would be surprised if the traveling contingent for the network that that wins the, the rights for the games is as big as it is going forward after this year. And, and I think too, for ESPN, I think it's an easier call for ESPN because it's not really Olympics network. I mean, it's just not, I mean, they get the rights to whatever highlights they have. That's what matters. They share the results. And especially in a bubble atmosphere, if you can't get to people and get interviews that matter, you're not gaining anything by anybody being there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that's a good, that's, that's a really good point. I was just sitting here thinking about that. And I, I wonder, I wonder if they, if the, the NHL was going, which is would have been, been the main centerpiece to the games, wonder how much different things would be. I, I think it's kind of awkward now because before NBC was all about that because NBC had the, the NHL deal, but now ESPN has, you know, the primary NHL deal, so to speak. Um, so I think that might have something to do with it, but at the end of the day, I, I, I don't expect anything to suffer. Uh, from, from, it. I knows. I think I'll still enjoy the product. Also, you could have a very bad broadcast of the Olympics from a technical, not technical, but they from a a career technical standpoint, and most consumers would know. You and I are just happen to be very nitpicky. Yeah, and I think what's going to matter is for ratings for NBC. It's it's going to be does some downhill or slalom skier emerge. What happens in the figure skating for men's and women's? They have some stories to tell that are U.S. associated, right? Because it's the prime time viewing. Everything's going to be over that anybody really wants to know. So it's about framing a story. And, and heck, you can frame a story. And they've been doing legwork and interviews with these people and background work for, you know, two years at least in most cases. So they can produce those segments from anywhere. It's going to matter a little bit, a lot of it in terms of performance on whether or not how much people watch. And they won't know who, whether the broadcasters were there or not when they're watching. Yeah. I think a, a lot of the, especially with a lot of these sports outside of maybe Rowdy Gaines, who I think a lot of people really like, you don't really know who a lot of these other people are that do these 
other truly Olympic sports. Right. Exactly. All right. Uh, anything else you want to add? Nope. No. You good? I'm good. Will you be watching? Oh, I love it. I watch it all. I soak it all. Okay. I watch. Okay. I'm literally just sitting here going through the, the the hockey schedule right now. I'll still watch. I still watch a vast majority of the the hockey um, because I think it's just it's, it's I like it. It's, I don't know. And I I I'll check out slalom. Uh, you know all the skiing stuff. I appreciate bobsledding, uh, but it's very kind of weird to watch on TV. Right, right. Um, it's one of those things I've never experienced. Uh, and I will be absolutely t- tuned into the curling. That is, I, I know that people make fun of it, but once well, you, it's watch. one of those sports that once you understand what's happening, it is the most addictive thing. Yeah. And it's, it's great background noise kind of viewing. It's not, you know, jumping up and down. You can just kind of get invested in it. Yeah. We'll watch curling, watch some hockey. She'll probably be interested in ice skating. I couldn't care less. Ice skating to me is kind of like NASCAR. Like I, I know what it's, I know what know whether something's good or not if there's a crash. Like I know that wasn't bad. Yeah. But I know that was bad if they crashed. They crash. Otherwise, it's bad. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. No. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Uh, this week's old guy, old guy and guy is brought to you by Steve. So Steve, go ahead. Well, we're always thinking about these ideas and what should we have for old guy young guy. So when when Darian's like, we got an old guy young guy this week. What is it? And I just happened to look down at my arm. I'm like. I'm wearing a watch. I wonder if the young guy wears a watch. So I'm curious, does the young guy wear a watch? Uh, so I do not have my watch on, but I do have a watch that I usually wear. I haven't been wearing it the last couple of days, uh, but it's an Apple watch. And that was the only watch that I will probably ever own or use. Okay. Uh, because I hate to be one of those millennials, but hey, uh, this uh, this tells me the time and I don't have to, I don't have to read where the, the little arm, the big arm and the little arm is. And I mean, I can read those types of clocks, but you know, difficult sometimes. It's difficult sometimes. Well, it's just, you know, sometimes the, the, the six might be, might be half hour. Got to do a little bit of math. So, but, but even the watch in general, is, is your sense that guys your age have a watch or is it, is it their phone? Is it something else? I, I, to be very honest, I don't, until the Apple watches came out, I don't think people my age wanted watches. Like I think watches were going to die. And I don't think, like, I think pe- for people your age, but there is still a status about owning a Rolex or owning a nice citizens, citizens watch or, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. No, it's, We'd rather have like sneakers or, you know, oh, maybe so. I, I mean, I didn't think about it as that. I'm just, I'm used to having something on my wrist. Like I, it's been a lifetime of, cause mine's probably like a Timex, like cheapo that just keeps working, but I'm used to like, I'll just, I'll turn my wrist to, to see what time it is more than I'll they'll reach into my pocket and grab a phone or something else. So I'm, I, it's more habit that way for me in terms of watch than anything else. I will say I was very anti apple watch i was like this is so dumb like who who would want this like why do you want this and then i got one and i was like this is the greatest piece of technology ever it, it, it really is i i love mine to death like i think it's I, I i truly think it's the best piece of technology out there um but i'm interested i i don't know i'm interested to see like if as I get older, I get into other like traditional watches. I don't think I will. I, I don't it, think you go back. Like, I think, I think, you know, what yeah. you know, right. Like I, I, yeah. that makes sense to me. So yeah, no, I, I just didn't know if I was more about even wearing the watch and I had fully forgotten the Apple watch. That makes sense. Um, Cause I think the both girls both have Apple watches and that that works for them. I forget where we were. Where was I somewhere? And I just didn't, I didn't wear my watch. And I was like, what time is it? Like, it is it a took weird me, feeling. It took me a second to remember as I had to, but but you know the phone was in my pocket, right? So I was gonna have to like reach down, get out of my pocket, and we might have been with people, and then I didn't want them to look like I was bored or something. You know, I can sneak a glance at my watch and be like, "This is getting old. I gotta get out of here." So it's harder to do with the phone. I'll see. That's more socially acceptable. People my age should just look at your phone. I know, I know, I, and I think you're rude. So you know, whatever. We know. <laughs> All right. Anything else you want to add this week? That's it. I'm done calling you rude. That's, that's fine. That's a good episode. Sorry, it was a longer episode, but it was very thankful for Mike Porman to join us. It was always entertaining and fun to chat with. Um, other than that, um, 
yeah, um, we've got, um, if we're on all the pod- podcast services, please, you know, subscribe and like and star and thumbs up and whatever else you do there. Um, we have an email. It is stuff summer says podcast at gmail.com. We've got um, our Twitter handles, which mine is at stuff summer says Steve's is at Steve Samsel. And other than that, uh, have a good rest of the, your week. Have a good whatever. Stay warm. Stay away from COVID. Uh, yeah, that's my advice. Have a good week. See you. See you.